Hey, I, I want to, if you have a Bible, we're going to kind of skip around, but if you turn to Matthew 23, this is where we're going to kind of be at. And uh, there's several things, because like a lot of times, um, I don't know, our life is just very fortunate right now. So I, um, not long ago, before Christmas time, my kids and I uh, received an anonymous um, letter in the mail that had some money in it. And so it was like, man, like one, one morning, um, one morning we woke up, we moved into our new house, and uh, we, we woke up, and there was a TV on the front porch, and there was like no card, nothing, so it's like, oh, I have a hard time accepting gifts. I don't know if you guys are that way, but I automatically go, I got to pay you back, and I got to do one better. That's kind of where I'm at. It's kind of like poker sometimes. Um, so, no, I don't play poker. So, um, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> So we, we, we had this money that was given to us, and so I wanted to teach my kids something. So we went inside, and we went to worldvision.com. I used to sponsor a child when I was uh, in my teens. And um, I said, okay, we're going to take this money, and we're going to go buy um, a family or a child some stuff. So we get on their website, and my kids were freaking out. They are like, we can buy them goats and chickens? I said, Yes. So we had this long talk. Now, my older two are kind of like, yes, there's people who live in other parts of the world that don't have it like we do. And my two youngest are like, you mean they don't have cell phones? It's like, no, not everybody has a cell phone, and that's okay. Uh, they don't have a PS? No, nope, not everybody has a PlayStation. What about Wi-Fi? No, not everybody has Wi-Fi. You are like, i got to get you out of the States, and we got to go experience, like, some parts of the world. Anyways, so we bought, like, this mosquito net bedding. We bought soccer balls, uh, goats and chickens. Uh, and my kids thought it was really cool. Uh, my younger two, especially. My older two were like, yay, can we go back? Uh, but my younger two were kind of like, this is really neat. And so, you know, my, uh, my little two are very emotional. They take after daddy. They're very emotional. So when I started explaining to them that there's children who don't have parents, you could see the tension you can see the heartbreak. You can see the emotions coming. And I'd have to try to, like, quickly go, but, but there's some who do have parents. You know, it's okay. Um, and then we would talk about how some kids don't have shoes. And, you know, of course, my little girl, she goes into her closet, and she brings out, like, 15 pairs. I'll send them these. I'm like, oh, your heart's in the right spot. But we need those, too. You know, not all 15. Um, but, you know, with kids, it's like you put on one pair of shoes one day, two weeks later, they've outgrown it, and it's time to mail them away. So we go through this process, and I'm trying to teach my kids better. I'm trying to be a better dad, but I'm trying to teach them, look, you've got it really good. So what are you doing for others? And, like, that's kind of the thing today. And I, and I, I do this in my classroom. I, 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 I'm fortunate to sometimes get to preach, and I, I show this a lot is um, – there was a song I heard one time, and it says, you have been blessed, so we're going to be a blessing. And I love that lyric. And so there's times, we've, we've seen it in movies like Pay It Forward, somebody does something for you, so now you've got to do something for them. But sometimes our heart is like mine, when you wake up, and there's a TV on the porch, and you go, ah. My first reaction was not necessarily unappreciative, but I've got to pay somebody back, and I've got to make it like a 60-inch now. Uh if somebody buys me lunch, it's like, oh, now we got to go to a better restaurant, and i got to spend more money on you. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of the, I don't know, and that's a personal thing for me. 
But I kind of want to look at this through Scripture's eyes and how Jesus kind of talked about it as far as his church goes. And the fascinating thing is, what we're going to read today is just, was just for Christians. It was just for the church. He read it to believers, and he spoke to believers. And so it was just the church that was dealing with this issue. So in Matthew 23, you might have read some of this. I kind of want to go a little bit in, in depth. But in Matthew 23, starting in verse 23 also, huh, 23, 23, that's where we're going to be. So in Matthew 23, 23, he says this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Two groups. You hypocrites. It's a Greek word. That tells me one thing, that Jesus understands culture. You give a tenth of your spices. And then most of you guys might have some spices listed. What are your spices listed in your Bible? Mint, dill, cumin, right? Okay, I don't have any of those right now. I've got sprinkles. I want everybody to take one. And then pat, oh, so it sprinkles. Let's just try this out. If I was to, according to the law, and there's debate there, I was supposed to give a tenth of what I had. So if I open these sprinkles, what do I need to do to find out how much is a tenth? I got to what? Weight it or count it. So if I was to count these out. How long is it going to take for me to count out these sprinkles? I teach science. I don't teach math. But you remember, it, remember when you were kids and that teacher had that jar and you were like, ah, there's like a million in there. And she's like, closest one gets the jar. <gasps> then you were like, mm. you were using all kinds of cool tricks. You were like length times width. Uh, you, you, were, you were doing everything you can. 7.2 trillion. I mean, you would do everything you possibly can. So if I wanted to find out what a tenth of my sprinkles that I'm going to offer to God, I need to count all of this. Let's say it came out to be 9,734. Then I have to go find out what a tenth of that is. I don't teach math. Okay, we'll take that answer. (laughs) I don't know. I know photosynthesis. So if I was to count this all out, lay it on the table, and go, 9,734. Got it. Now we got to go back and count out a tenth. And boom, I've got it. There's my tenth. That goes to God. And I am happy because now I've met the requirement. Now I know my standing with God is. I've done what you've asked. We're good to go. All is well. Okay? This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, you give a tenth of your spices But then he says this, but, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. So evidently, there are matters, and there are more important matters. Now, sometimes in life, my wife and I just started a marriage class. Like, we attend this marriage class. I... I've been to several marriage, um, like, I've gone to, like, youth pastor workshops and stuff, and, like, over here for, like, 20 minutes is, like, this introduction to a marriage class. I'm like, oh, that's horrible. Well, then my wife texts me, and she goes, hey, um, the church is going to have a marriage class for 10 weeks. You want to do it? And I'm like, oh, no, I don't. But you can't say that to your wife. So I text back. Whatever you think is best. Because that's what a husband does. (laughs) She knows what that means. 
Isn't that amazing? You can have a completely different conversation, and both of you are on the same page. Well, she's on that page. You're like a chapter behind. But you, you go through this stuff. But evidently here, Jesus says, look, you're so, you're so careful doing this, which is good, but you neglect more important things. So it's funny because my wife and I, we were doing our marriage homework last night, and, I, and we started this class it's, it's on Thursday nights, but we couldn't do last Thursday because my daughter had a basketball game at Tri-North. But we went Wednesday night with another couple, and we laughed until I cried. Uh, my friend, Mike, he had to get up and go to the restroom. It's that kind of a laugh. So, like, I love this class we're doing. I love it. And so we're going through our homework, and uh, we do this profile thing. We do the personality types, which is a pain in the neck. And then um, we start talking about some stuff. Our worst score is conflict resolution. Can you imagine that, married people? Everybody's like, yeah, of course it is. But we were scored really high in spiritual beliefs, money, and friendships. Which is fascinating because communication, sex, and money, three biggest causes for marital divorce. And I'm like, money communication? We nailed it. Got it. Our definition of intimacy is different. That was fascinating to learn. Because men and women were different. Isn't that great? You didn't come to hear that, so forget that. So Jesus says, you're so careful doing this, but you neglect more important. And he says this, you neglect more important matters, and then it gives you a couple words. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now that's fascinating, because that is a throwback to Micah. So if you turn your Bibles backwards, uh, I might even just quote it. In Micah chapter 6, just a couple books backwards, right after Jonah, Micah chapter 6, he says this. There's this big confrontation, um, and there's like this law and order scene going on. And um, God is calling upon nature, because nature's been around, and calls upon nature to be like this jury for God's people. And it goes on and goes on and goes on. And then the people get so, the prophet gets so upset that he says, well, what will I come before God with? So if you were to show up in front of God, you don't show up empty-handed. It's kind of like when you go to a friend's house sometimes. You bring a gift. If you didn't know that, now you do. You, you <laughs> at least it used to be that way. You brought flowers. You, you, you brought a two-liter of Coke, something. And then he says this, what should I come before the Lord with? Shall I bow down before the exalted God with? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Oh, I study Leviticus. I love Leviticus. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? A calf, a year old. High quality right there. It's it's like Walmart, Odin Locker. Just big difference in quality. Big difference in quality. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Wow, thousands? That's, that's impressive. Um, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil. Wow. I'm allowed to use the generic brand of oil in my home, but the olive oil my wife uses for special cookings. Not sure what, but, but I use it every now and then without her looking. Just don't tell her that. Don't post this on the internet. Um, then he says this, Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? Now we're getting kind of crazy. Because from the very beginning, God says, You will not, you will not sacrifice firstborns. Not going to happen. What does the Lord require? 
Now, this is fascinating because he says, he says he's shown you. He's already told you what's good. What does it that he requires from you? Offerings? Sacrifices? Nothing. So this is really neat. If you were to ask somebody today, what does God require of his people? Money? Time? Dress nice for church? Every Sunday be there? Every Wednesday be there? Every fellowship gathering be there? What does it require of his people? The prophet says, act justly. Love mercy. Love is a verb. Love mercy. Cling to it. Show it all the time, even when it's not what you want to do. When somebody who does not deserve mercy, you show mercy. Justly, when something is on the scales of right and wrong, you always stand with what's right. And then he says to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with the Lord your God. You don't walk around pompous. You don't walk around showing everybody you're better than everybody else. You walk justly. You, I mean, you, you do justice. You love mercy. And you walk humbly with God. That's what he has required of us. So when Jesus comes off and he says, you've, you've neglected the more important matters, justice, mercy, faithfulness, he's throwing back to Micah. Then he says this, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You should have done both. Now, you and I are always in positions of do I do this or do I do that? My wife and I, we were discussing, she goes, one of our problems in communicating, not necessarily in communicating because she tells me what's wrong, but what's, it's, it's me listening, but it's, it's more of priorities. Like I'm sitting there going, if I get the dishes done and help out with laundry and play with the kids and do all these vacuum and stuff, I'm helping my wife as well. That's how I view it. And she was, it was eye-opening last night. She was like, or aha It wasn't eye-opening. It was, it was an aha moment. It was, I'm doing these things not because I want to do dishes and do laundry and vacuum and all that stuff and feed the pets and take the trash out. I do it for you. I do it for us. Not, not that she has to go do that. That's not what I'm saying. But she says, okay, but sometimes you need to not do those things and come sit with me. And it was, oh, do I? <laughs> you, you hear those jokes, you know, you see those things on Facebook a lot of, of, of uh, your first year of marriage, you're holding hands, eating ice cream together. Your fifth year of marriage, it's like, hey, when you come to bed, do not wake me up. It's, it's fascinating how marriage changes. It's like watching your kids sometimes. The firstborn kids, you're holding them, you're keeping them clean, everything else. Fourthborn, you're just like, look, you're eating grass. You're eating. <laughs> Great. Uh, it was fascinating. You can hear the same thing and get two messages. My son, my oldest son, he's been diagnosed with autism. And he was sitting at the kitchen table, and he says to my, so we're working on our, our communication skills. And he says to my wife and I, when I'm 21 and in college, can we have a beer and talk? fascinating. My wife hears, when I'm 21, can we have a beer? I hear, you want to go to college? (laughs) Isn't that amazing? It's fascinating. But this happens all the time in scripture. We read the same verse. You hear this, and somebody else hears this. It's not that anything is wrong, but Jesus comes along and says, look, both are good. One is weightier than the other. This, the law, there were 613 teachings from God. Sometimes people call them commands or laws. And one, one time a man comes to Jesus and says, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest teaching? He wants to know. There's 613. Every rabbi had a list all the way from 1 all the way to 613. 
of the order of importance. Jesus had his. And he answers, we don't know the rest of them, but he answers, love God, which most rabbis had that as number one. Love God with everything you are. Number two, not every rabbi agreed on. And Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's fascinating. And he goes on to tell a story about a good Samaritan. It's fascinating. So you had all these teachings. And so every rabbi would say, yes, this is important, but these are more important. So, yes, you want to tithe a tenth of whatever it is, great. But justice and mercy and walking with your God, more important. So you can imagine these guys sitting around counting out a tenth, and you've got people over here who are homeless, orphans, widows, stranded, isolated, lonely, hurting, brokenhearted, downtrodden. You've got them, and they're going, well, I'm, I'm going to do this. So we, you and I are filled with this every day. Do, do, I, uh, do I pass this lady on the side of the road who's changing her tire to get to church on time? What's more important? We do this all the time. Do, do, I, do, I, do I get all of my lesson planning done, or do I let my six-year-old paint my toenails? What's more important? If I say, you can paint them while I'm doing this, I'm not really there with her. What's more important? Do dishes and trash and everything else, is that more important or sitting with my wife? What's more important? And we face this all the time. But Jesus goes on, and he, and he, keeps, he stays on this point. He says, you strain out the net, and you swallow a camel. Fascinating. He throws that back to Leviticus. In Leviticus, they're both unclean animals. Now, what's smaller, a gnat or a camel? Okay, it took you guys almost three seconds to answer that. <laughs> a gnat, very good. A gnat is smaller than a camel. <laughs> Great job, church. Um, but they're both unclean. Now, in this day and age, if you, if you were to eat a camel, it's, it, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're, it's going to be prepared, and you're going to put a fork in it if you're, you know, High class. If you're Moffat class, you're just going to pick up a piece and stick it in your mouth because you don't have to wash another fork. Then you've got gnats. How many of you have ever had a gnat in your ear, eye, mouth, nose? You don't have to raise your hand, but we all have. So gnats. So they would have cups, and they would keep a cloth on top of the cup. Sometimes when it came to water, if you went down to get some water, you had to pour it through a strainer, a piece of cloth, in order to keep the gnats and the bugs and everything else that's unclean out of it so you'd have just clean water. And so you would have this process. So when, sometimes when you took a drink, you would have to uncover the cloth, take a drink, put the cloth back on. Oh, take, take a drink, put the cloth, take a, take a cloth off, put the drink, cloth back on. Cloth comes off, drink, cloth comes off. You had this process of straining out. You were so careful to not have a little itty-bitty gnat touch you. But in the meantime, he says, you're just buffeting the camel. And his whole point is, look, sometimes we think we're like the Griswolds. Christmas comes, and we decorate the house, and it's gleaming finally. The family comes out in the front yard and says, look at this. And then the father-in-law says, the little twinkling lights aren't twinkling. You mean out of all of this, you're going to focus on that. 
I, I hear this a lot. I hear it at school sometimes. I see, I see students get so excited about something. And I had, I had a student that um, was uh, outside changing the, the front sign of our school. And it said, um, oh, he had the U and the P backwards. He was spelling the word up. I know. It's not hard to misspell up, but he did. And he spelled poo. And so we had to go, let's step back. And I had my arm, and I said, let's, what's wrong with this sign? Let's look at it. Let's just read it. Look at all that glory up there. And he said, poo. And he just kind of, eighth grade. It's like, you know, you had this in like second grade when you were learning how to spell. Maybe kindergarten. My daughter doing four-letter words in kindergarten, first grade. It's two letters. And you got them backwards. Great job. You know, if there's a last place trophy for you, you got it. So it's, it's sometimes we, we get so caught up in, even in marriage, we work so hard at everything, but the stuff that we messed up on is, is, is all over the place. The church, as beautiful as the church is, to me, it's, it's the bride. And if anybody was to mess with my bride or call her names or anything else, I would try to fight you. If I can't, I would say something mean and run away. I'm a lover, not a fighter. So, or I'd say it on Facebook, and that's, I'll just leave it out there on Facebook. But the bride, as messy as she is, the church is the same way. How many times do we invest into all of these things, but the more important matters we are neglecting? I, I, I see this. I'm, I am, I don't know, fortunate or blessed. I, I get to preach at different places, and I love the church. A couple of Sundays ago, I was sitting in a church, and I wanted to, during Sunday school, and, I, and I, I've enjoyed that time at, at this little church. And um, I was in Sunday school. There's only four of us, and uh, five of us, I think. But um, I, was, I was to the point where I was like, I'm walking out. I'm done. Like it was, I couldn't believe the things I was hearing Christians say. It broke me. And so I'm sitting there listening, and it's, it's about, uh, we were discussing when you come across somebody in need, how you respond. And it was fascinating. They brought up people on the street with signs needing help. And it was, if they would just go get a shower and shave and clean up, there's, there's plenty of jobs out there. And part of me is going, okay, I've met a lot of people on the streets. I was fortunate enough to have a youth pastor say, you're coming with us because I asked your mom to come. And he was like, I don't want to go. We're going to go feed the homeless. I don't want to go do that. So we'd go down there, and there's men wearing tutus and tights, people who are mentally disturbed. There was people who just, there was a man I met who just, he lost his job. His wife didn't want to be with him, and then that was it. It was like, it, it's just, and there's some people who take advantage of it. It's like in every, everything. There's some people who don't, who have a job, who will do, they will spend so much energy trying to hide in the store so they're not having to do work just to go home and have that check. I mean, you spend so much, and en- you spend more energy not working than you do just doing your job. There's students in my class. I'm like, your creativity is amazing. If you would apply that to education and not your drug stuff, you would be a great student. But I think sometimes the church does the same thing. We spend so much effort and time and resources and everything else in this, which is not bad. 
but we neglect more important things. It's fascinating. In the scriptures, it tells us this. Religion that God our Father accepts is this. Looking after orphans and widows in their times of distress. It mentions nothing. I was a youth pastor for many years. It mentions nothing of VBS, Wednesday night youth group, Sunday night youth group, Sunday morning youth-led worship services, going to conferences and camps and retreats and CIY. Never mentioned any of that. And guess how many times I took my youth out to work with the orphans and the widows? I don't remember one. And that bugs me. And I'm not saying that it's just those two things because the scriptures mention it. But my point is, sometimes we as individuals, we spend so much time on this. And it's not bad. But we neglect more important matters. Me playing with my kids is not bad. Me sitting down with my kids and saying, look around the world. There's people suffering. Let's send them money and buy nets and goats and chickens so they can have life. And to see my two youngest go, there's something to this. Is so much more worth it than me just sitting with them playing. They've got too many toys to where they're bored anyways. And it goes on, though. Jesus said, the whole gnat camel thing is a picture of Jesus saying, look, you spend so much time and effort with this little thing, but you're neglecting the more important things. But he goes on to talk about the cups. Oh, the cup washing ceremonies were crazy. And the pitchers and the bowls, it was, you had to have living water. When you picked up the cup, there was a blessing you would say first. And as you picked up the cup, you picked it up in your right hand. And then you would say a blessing to drink this and give thanks to God for what you've been able to have to drink. And then as you're getting the living water, because it had to be water that was flowing, not like pond water, but it had to be water that was flowing, you pour it in and you say a prayer for that and give thanks for that because we just take advantage of water. You would drink water, put the cup back down. You would say a blessing after that. There was a process of ongoing stuff, and some of this was just tradition. This is why Jesus goes on and talks about in Matthew 5, I think it is, about these traditions. You keep these traditions of men, but you nullify the word of God. He goes on, but he's, his whole point is, look, you do all of these tedious acts. You're, you're cleaning the cup inside and out. First, you clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. He goes on, Woe, you teachers, you Pharisees, you law hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. They spent so much time and energy whitewashing these tombs because if you walk at nighttime and you touch one, you're unclean for seven days. He says, you, you, um, last verse, verse 28, In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous. Now, how many of us agree that there are times we spend so much time, effort, money to make ourselves look good, but on the inside, we're a mess? We don't even want to admit that. Sometimes we hold to these traditions, traditions of men, traditions of church, traditions of families over Scripture. That's crazy. But we do it all the time. And he says, on the same way, on the outside, you appear to be righteous, but on the inside, on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. It's fascinating. It's interesting how he does this. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus talks about what's clean and what's unclean. He says, look, what goes into your body is not unclean, which is fascinating for a Jewish hearer to go, wait a second, Moses told us it's unclean to eat these things. But in Mark 7, he says, it's not about what goes into your body, what comes out of your body, meaning what you say, what comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. So even though many of you say things like jokes, we might joke around, 
how many of you guys would agree that sometimes our jokings, our, our little comments of sarcasm, have a little bit of truth to them, especially in marriage? You might say something, ha, 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 like that time you didn't wash out your coffee cup. Remember that? That was funny. Inside, I'm going, I have asked you for 20 years when you're done drinking coffee just to put some water in there because I get stuck having to scrub that stuff. I don't drink coffee. And maybe it's why. But how many times? How many times do we ever say to our spouse, I, was at a, I, was at a, I did a wedding a couple weeks ago. I was at this table, and this man, he dresses up as Ulysses S. Grant sometimes for reenactments in the Civil War. And we were talking about marriage. Because in the marriage, in the weddings, I always say to the couple getting married, I say, there will be days you do not like each other. And they'll, they'll kind of chuckle. And then I'll say it again. There will be days you do not like each other. And they'll kind of, oh, okay. And then I'll say it a third time. There are days you do not like each other. And they kind of go, oh, wait. <laughs> and now no, nobody's ever run off the stage or anything. That's good news. But when you look at this stuff, there is so much that goes through us. There's a deep process to following our traditions. There's a, there, there's, a, there's a deep regard to some of the things that make us feel safe. Um, there's a, um, I was at a church one time, and we took everything off the stage. And um, the whole point was, when we come to church, is there anything that helps us with our worship? Are we, are we, de- are we dependent upon anything to help us worship with God? If, 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 if this bowl burns out, the $10,000 bulb it is, they're expensive. I don't know how much, I don't, not that much. I don't want to, you know, no, no fundraising for the bulb. If it goes out, I have seen churches panic. Uh, there was a, a church I was at one time in Texas. I was getting ready to speak, and the worship leader, they were singing, but f- verse 3 would not come up on the screen. And I'm thinking, no big deal. What do we always do? We skip verse 3 anyways. You go right to verse 4, because what are we going to sing in heaven? Every verse 3 to every hymn that's been known to man, because we didn't do it here. So verse 3 does not come up, and he says, and I, and I just, these things I just kind of leave in the middle, going, I don't know if it's right or wrong or bad or good or, or whatever, but I just leave it right there and just walk away. But he says, Satan didn't want us to sing verse 3, or God did not want us to sing verse 3, and Satan is not going to hold us back. So they went on to another song. And I was just kind of like, okay. God didn't want you to sing verse 3. The verse that talks about his amazing grace and love. Okay. Sure. Maybe he didn't want you to sing it. I don't know. Maybe we didn't pay the bill. Maybe sometimes there's technical difficulties. You've never experienced them. But sometimes there are outside this place. There are technical difficulties. But the thing of this all is, the thing of this is, is I had a friend told me this. He said this. He said, Curtis, today believers fixate on big things. Sometimes, when it's the small things that actually do it. Sometimes we think, if I'm going to serve God, I have to, and there's this big vision. I, I, we've got to have a weak BBS. We've got to have 5,000 kids. We've got to have 7 million volunteers. 
Or this lady needs somebody to come and have a cup of tea with. But for some reason, we think this, this is how I can serve God and have this big thing when really it could be this. And I can see Jesus saying, which one's more important? And he says, it's not that you neglect one for the other. It's just there, there is a sense of one is more important. And I am working on that. I think every Christian should be working on that. If you're a Christian, you should be working on that. There are times, there are times it's easier for me to write a $25 check and send it to World Vision or give it to whatever than it is for me to actually go to a place and, and volunteer. There was a, a soup kitchen here in Bloomington years ago that we, our church would just send money to. And so one day, I brought about eight youth. I said, we're going on a mystery trip. I said, I'm going to buy you lunch. Took about eight kids out to this place, and we cleaned it. We showed up, and we just cleaned for a couple hours. Oh, they were not happy. They were not happy. It was gross, too, but they were not happy. And so they began learning what this place is and who it serves and, and what it does. And so they began going like, okay, if we were serving food, maybe that would be a better thing. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Serving food in your eyes is a better thing than cleaning the floor, taking the trash out, breaking down boxes. It's fascinating. We all do it. But I was trying to teach them a lesson going, you know, sometimes, sometimes without this, you can't have that. What happens if the health inspector comes in and shuts the place down? Then nothing gets done. What happens if I watched an episode of Monk one time, and in San Francisco, the, the trash men went on strike? Have you ever thought about that? It was horrible in the episode. I worked for construction where we drove to the city dump a couple of times. That changed my mind on a lot of things. Um, just experiences. But I think sometimes Christians, we don't, we don't get out and do things, not necessarily because they save us, but because of the reflection of the love of Christ. We don't. We spend more time trying to stay safe and secure Stay on my Sunday morning schedule, my Wednesday night schedule, or whatever, Sunday morning, Sunday night, whatever it is, that I can handle. But if you want me to go knock on somebody's door and say, do you need prayer? Uh, There's a, a man right now in New York City who walks around with two pillows. And he walks around, and he finds college students, and he'll say, hey, you want a pillow fight? And he'll throw them a pillow. Some will walk by and just go, and keep walking. Some will grab the pillow and just start having a huge pillow fight. One, you realize, we've forgotten what it's like to just have fun and be kids. Two, some people have a lot of built-up anger and frustration they're trying to get out. And a pillow is a great way to work on that. It's neat. Sometimes, it's, there's, there's been people who've walked around with shirts that have just said free hugs. There's been people who have set up a little table, some lemonade, and two chairs, and just said, uh, would you like me to pray? And there's some who said, you know, there's people who've come over and just yelled and screamed. There's others who said, I don't believe in a God, but I really could use something right now. My invitation to you, my challenge to you as a church is, what are you doing? I love it in the scriptures of Joshua chapter 24. Joshua's meeting with the people, and they're fixing to go in the promised land, and he says, choose this day who you're going to serve. 
whether it's the God of your forefathers across, across the river who served and everything else, or is it the God of the Hebrews? Choose this day. And I remember teaching my oldest son a long time ago. I said, buddy, if they don't choose, they've made a choice. It's fascinating. You can't, you can't just sit there and go, I'll think about it. No, because that just made your choice. You, you either follow Christ or you don't. We've, I've heard sermons. I've, I've seen sermons. I've heard pastors talk about some of us follow closer, some of us follow farther away. And I'm like, well, I can see that as an illustration. But you either follow Christ or you don't. When you read scripture, it says forgive one another. We are supposed to forgive. Love one another. I don't care what somebody has done to you. You are supposed to love. It's not easy. Whether you're supposed to. Um, if we are having this scripture, we are supposed to, according to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, talk about it when you get up in the morning. Talk about it when you lay down going to bed. Write it on your door frames. Put it on your heart. Impress it upon your children. And we all sit back and go, why is our world going so bad? How come Christians aren't speaking up? We don't follow scripture. Very simple. Read your scriptures. Follow your scriptures. And where you struggle, come to church. Ask questions. Wrestle together. But be the church. Don't do the Baskin-Robin thing where you come in and say, oh, you said that. I'm going to go find another flavor somewhere else. Work out your differences. Christ prayed in the garden for us to be one. Be one. That's what he's asked us to do. Let's pray. God, you are a good God. And everything you do, you show us kindness, mercy. God, you love us. You are patient. God, you, the times we purposely walk away from you, uh, you still show up in our lives. God, sometimes we get so caught up on doing big things for you that the little things seem nothing. God, sometimes we measure success by numbers, money. Uh, God, help us just to understand that uh, spending time listening, uh, resources, showing our kids what it looks like to be you is way more important. God, showing mercy and walking with you, letting our kids uh, see us reading scripture, praying with our spouses. God, these are the things that uh, you press upon us. God, nothing is, is unimportant, but God, in your scriptures, you tell us that there are things that we should not have neglected for something else. And there are things that are more important. God, help us to be the kind of people who do not get caught up and doing these big showboat acts of righteousness. But God, just the little things. Not letting our left hand see what our right hand is doing. God, going into our closets and praying. God, help us to realize loving people, oh, these are the things you want us to do. God, many of us need to readjust our lifestyles as a church god i pray for this church with nick leading in the leadership god i ask that in their decisions the things they do god, are things that matter here in this community god to come here and to get energized and to learn and to grow but god out there um, 
this is where we get close to you and see you moving. God, you've asked us to be the hands and the feet of your church. And if we are not doing anything, we're not moving. God, we give thanks for your son, Jesus, for his life, his death, his resurrection, and the hope he brings to all of us. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.